Unlike the average citizen visiting the state government complex, members of the General Assembly are allowed to carry firearms in the state house and adjacent state buildings. Plenty of lawmakers take advantage of that privilege, and a few would-be Dirty Harrys and Harriets reportedly pack multiple handguns. The General Assembly's collective firepower has manifested itself in another way this session, namely in the form of legislation. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll focus on some of the gun-related measures filed this session, including proposals that would make it easier for most of the 4.5 million or so Hoosier adults who don't hold seats in the General Assembly to buy and or bear firearms pretty much whenever and wherever they choose. We'll begin with this legislative update from WFYI Public Media's Eric Weddle. There's a slew of proposed bills this session around the right to bear arms. And as you can expect, Republicans and Democrats are mostly split on these issues. One House bill would allow people protected by restraining orders to carry a handgun without a license for up to 60 days. Proponents, including Republican bill author Sean Eberhardt, say the measure ensures the government doesn't stand in the way of victims of domestic violence protecting themselves. The bill extends, extends the right of self-protection to a person who I think we all agree is in a very difficult or could be in a very difficult position in a potentially uh, dangerous uh, situation. The bill allows them, he or she, to use a court-ordered protection order as their license to carry a handgun for up to 60 days. But not everyone agrees. Democrat Representative Vanessa Summers says if lawmakers want to help domestic violence victims, they should make a stronger restraining order, not give access to guns. It's not going to protect them. If they have, they're able to, have a, a, to carry a gun and they shoot that person, they still have to be determined whether or not they were right to, to shoot. One of the more controversial proposals this session is constitutional carry. It seeks to eliminate Indiana's handgun license requirement. Other states already have this, but so far, this idea is destined for a summer study committee. And here's one more. Another bit of legislation would allow legislative employees to carry guns into the statehouse. Currently, only police, judges, and lawmakers are allowed to do that. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Eric Weddle. Thanks, Eric. Back in a moment with our roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers from the State House to your house. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or Valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org. Now, if I were given to strained, even inappropriate metaphors, I might observe that gun rights advocates in the General Assembly took a shotgun approach to this year's legislative session, introducing a wide range of gun-related measures. There's legislation that would allow legislative staffers to carry concealed weapons, legislation that would grant free lifetime carry permits to veteran law enforcement officers, legislation that would permit firearms on school grounds and college campuses, and, as Eric Weddle noted in his piece, legislation that would effectively do away with handgun licensing in our state. Since I'm not given to such metaphors, however, I'll jump straight to the introduction of my roundtable guests. Republican Representative Jim Lucas of Seymour, Democratic Representative Ed Delaney of Indianapolis, Republican Senator Jim Toms of Wadesville, and Troy Riggs, Indianapolis's former police chief and public safety director and now vice president, 
at the Sagamore Institute and Indianapolis-based think tank. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And being Thank part you. of our most heavily armed panel I've had, we've had all year, I'm guessing. At least, at least a few uh, of you are. I have a wireless mic. That counts as my weapon, I suppose. <laughs> You're right. Jim Lucas, let's start with you. I was looking at the bills you had authored or co-authored this session. Uh, 23 of them, I think, was the count. 11 of them dealt with uh, Second Amendment rights issues. Why so passionate about gun legislation? Well, for me, um, being able to protect yourself is the epitome of personal responsibility. And that right is protected in the Second Amendment, and not only that, but Article One, Section 32 of our own state constitution, and they're, they're plainly written. There is uh, no interpretation, in my mind, of them, and that's just a, an article or an issue I've always been passionate about. And Ed Delaney, there are uh, bills that have been introduced uh, from members of your caucus and even some Republicans that would maybe run counter uh, to what uh, Representative Lucas has suggested is the, the right path uh, by maybe constricting uh, opportunities to buy and, and carry weapons. But they're far outnumbered by these other bills. Oh, there's, why, there's why, no why this flurry of act activity right now? Because remember, I'm playing D here, so I'm not really pushing most of mine. I'd prefer that they just stop. I think we've had a flurry of legislation in a state that was always pro-gun. Every year we seem to do something that's more pro-gun. I think it's way beyond the point of necessity. So I'm not pushing much. I wish we didn't have assault weapons. I wish people couldn't sell guns without you know, getting a background check. I can't stop them for now, but I'm going to keep the fight up. And when you say that Indiana has long been a pro-gun state, yeah. Yeah. are you saying that the electorate as a whole and that the, rep the General Assembly represents uh, the wishes of their, of their constituents, or do you... No, I think the legislation's always been there. This is a pro-gun country. I don't, I don't understand the argument anymore. There are 300 million personal weapons in this country, okay? That's about one for every person. So the presumed threat to this existence is nonsense. There is no threat to people who want to use guns. The threat is to people who want to be safe in certain environments, and that's what I think the debate is about. And I think people are of two minds. Well, Senator Tom's uh, way in here, too. I didn't do the math the calculation on how many, what percentage of your bills that you've authored this session have to do with firearms. But I think it's a fair to say it's a, it's a fair number because several of the bills, the higher profile bills, bear your, your name. Why yeah. do you think we've seen the spike in activity here on the part of uh, defense of the Second Amendment, zealous defense of the Second Amendment, you might say, here and across the country? Well, it is always a threat when, you know, the suggestion that we're at a point where we don't need any more gun legislation, pro-gun legislation, there's always this threat, there's always this push. If, I can tell you, if we didn't have uh, the introduction of new pro-gun legislation, then what we would have would be introduction of anti-gun legislation. It just works that way. So you're trying to fill the Well, the, it's the just void. that the people, uh, they understand the Constitution, they understand why it was important that the founders put the Second Amendment uh, second in line in the Bill of Rights. And just for a point of information, too, the, it's not just the legislators that make statements about pro-gun legislation, but it's also the citizens. In Indiana now, there are over 777,000 people with handgun licenses now. And uh, the female population is really generating more applications for handgun license. In, in 2012, there were 90, just under 93,000 
female handgun uh, females with handguns applications or uh, license. In uh, 2016, that number grew to 203,000. So that's, that shows that the people are aware that uh, it's important to arm themselves, and they also are aware that we need laws that allow them to do that, that we don't have these restrictions. And there are still too many restrictions that are still there that uh, prohibit people. So by my calculation, those numbers uh, in terms of the people who have carry permits, one in nine, one in ten Hoosiers uh, have those. Uh, is that about right? But I, I, guess I didn't the numbers, do the math. I'm, but I, I guess, guess the numbers do uh, <coughs> have increased, in fact, a 50 percent growth. Uh, uh, and just last month, uh, and I found it interesting, the, the numbers of background checks that, of course, accompany the applications for concealed carry permits here in the state were up. Uh, there was a, a spike just uh, last month. You, you study this. Uh, both, you know, you were in the trenches, and now you're sort of looking at it. Uh, I won't say the ivory tower, but uh, <laughs> at least in that neighborhood. What gives here? I mean, you, you, I, you know, you, people used to say, well, it's the Obama administration is going to come and take the guns. But unless that's a really secret conspiracy, I guess he missed his, his window of opportunity. And yet the spike is occurring under what would arguably be a pro-Second Amendment administration in Washington. Um, how do you explain or, or this spike uh, across the country in, in Second Amendment legislation? Well, for large cities, if you look across the United States, large cities saw 14 to 20 percent jump in homicides last year. And then the civil disobedience and some of the things that people are seeing on the street has uh, caused a lot of people to say, what should I do about a firearm? What should I do about traveling in and to work? And that seems to be a major theme that people have. Fear is driving a lot of this. And that's, that's a shame because really when you look at some of the crime that's occurring, most people are never going to be a, a victim of that type of crime if they're not in those areas, if they're not dealing in some type of drug, if they're not in some type of car or in some type of uh, confrontation with someone. But fear drives that, and people are buying more and more weapons. As it was already said, 300 million weapons in the United States, they're not going to go away anytime soon. I will tell you this, in 27 years of doing law enforcement, I've never had an issue with a citizen that is law-abiding, carrying a weapon. Never had that issue, never had an issue with a citizen. But as we look as a state to allowing people to carry weapons in, say, additional areas or carry them a little bit more freely than they do now, we need to take a moment and really think about the responsibilities of carrying a weapon, make sure that people understand when it's appropriate to use a weapon and when it's not under state law. And then also we need to talk about the uh, conflict and some of the resolutions we need to come up with for when officers arrive at a scene and a citizen that is armed and defending themselves, how do they respond? Those are questions that make it very, uh, that have to be answered because it's very difficult for officers when they arrive in the scene and numerous people have weapons. And, and you mentioned fear on the part of uh, citizens and that may be driving some of this spike, but we've also seen law enforcement uh, agencies or coalitions, associations, I think the Sheriff's Association, maybe prosecutors, they have sounded alarms about some of these these measures. Uh, again, you come out of that uh, that realm. Is the police need to be worried about being outgunned? The police uh, are already outgunned in some respects. I mean, that's just the situation that we deal with. But once again, we're talking about law-abiding citizens carrying weapons. We've not had that issue. There's been those times where you arrive at a scene, and you don't know who the good guy and the bad guy is, so to speak. That's why I say we need to have that discussion. But one of the things that's frustrating law enforcement is that when you look specifically in large cities, and Indianapolis is a large city, if you look at the amount of people that are carrying weapons that have been previously convicted of gun charges, that number is pretty high. 
And we did a study here in Indianapolis in 2014 and realized that if we had arrested individuals for violent crimes with a weapon and kept them incarcerated for just over five years, our homicide rate would have dropped by 25 percent. People kept getting out. Police departments arresting the right people, but they're still carrying weapons or paying no attention to and the law. Can, can I? Sure. sure. And, and that's, that's, that was a good point that Troy just made. You know, um, <clears throat> it's the legitimate citizen who's not a problem here. And, and I think people who understand this recognize that. Um, and just given a, uh, some idea of what we're dealing with, for example, Chicago, as of today, have had 310 homicides this year. 69 days into the year, uh, 300, or excuse me, 110 homicides. Um, and the shootings are over 300. How many of those guns came from Indiana <coughs> sold without a background check? I don't know how many were made in Illinois. That's a good yeah, question, well, my too. My question is the one that applies to our legislature. You know, we allow, the, we allow it, people to buy guns from, see, that's the point. and we'll take them to Illinois. Where it comes from or where it was made is insignificant. It's the fact that what do people do with them? The people that buy these firearms that submit to background checks for a license, they're never a problem. But we write laws that apply to them. But we have criminals who every day get up with their stolen gun and commit crimes. And this is the problem, but we don't focus on this. We focus, um, there's so much activity focused on the legitimate citizen out here. Well, what about this notion, though, that there's one or two gun shops, I believe, in the region. I don't forget the numbers now, but this was a controversy a couple years ago when Barack Obama talked about, uh, blamed, uh, and Mayor Rahm Emanuel, I believe, blamed a good portion of their woes in Chicago on the easy access to guns. You know, it's not, it's not Indiana's fault of their no. inability in Chicago to control their crime. It's not our fault. No more than it's Indiana's fault that Illinois can't control their budget problems. Senator, you're but, feeding but them this, guns. No, we're not no, feeding we them money. Feed, we're not feeding them anything. Well, they acquire I these things. Missing, okay. They acquire these things. They steal guns from people in their own state. That's different, Senator. What's, well, what's I being mean, ignored here is Indiana is the number one state in the nation as far as percentage of adults having a license to carry handguns. And we need more 15%. laws to free that up. No, <laughs> you're what's not your free? Case. Uh, no, we, we have to decriminalize lawful people caring because they already have that pre-existing it's not right. Criminal. But to your point of, of Illinois, wait, what? what to, how to is traffic, it criminal for a lawful person to traffic to carry a gun? firearms? To traffic firearms across state lines is a federal felony. To sure straw is. purchase is a federal felony. And Troy alluded to this earlier. We have enough laws on the books. They're simply being ignored and not enforced. Jim, we can go over the state fairground here and buy a gun. I've been there to see it. You can buy a gun without a background check. The, right here, one okay, mile away from let's here. Let's deal with facts. That's a fact. I've seen it. The, <clears throat> fact, the facts are Department of Justice has a report that shows your, your gun show loophole right. at flea markets or, or, right. or gun sales. Eight-tenths of one percent of criminals get their firearms in that manner. The worst ones get them there. That's the problem, Eight tenths of one percent. That's the problem. The most dangerous guy can go to my state fairground, get himself a gun, and go shoot somebody here or in Illinois. The most dangerous and you guy don't care. being a felon? You don't care. No, no that's not right. Well, you, you just that's say, not. let him go. No, the most dangerous guy, in your words, would be a felon. Okay? To purchase a gun as a felon is another felony. So, so as a lawmaker... So be arrested so just what? by having that... Absolutely. I mean, that's existing, right? Absolutely. Well, let's talk about this constitutional carry notion because, again, you've had 11 bills, as I mentioned, that you've authored this session. But the one that's gotten all the national attention, well, I won't say all, but a good percentage sure. of the attention would be the, the so-called constitutional carry law, which, again, gets, stems from what we were just talking about here, that if uh, 
you're saying it's already too difficult for law-abiding citizens to, to be able to obtain. I mean, you, I, I've seen you quoted as saying it's criminal and immoral. immoral absolutely. But why? It, it, I mean, uh, if, if, if people, if there were 700, 800,000 people who are getting permits, they, they must be jumping through the hoops seemingly with these. I, I mean, well, that's because they have to right now. To not do so would be to criminalize them. Um, Vermont has had constitutional carry for 227 years. And, and, you know, to hear all the fear-mongering that, that we're listening to people, um, if we go to constitutional carry, if Indiana were to do it, there'd be, you know, the Wild West and shootouts. And that's simply not true. The facts show that good people aren't all of a sudden going to turn violent by being able to exercise a constitutional right. And, and I want to point out to, to the listeners and people also, imagine the outcry if I were to introduce, uh, say, an amendment or something, that held our First Amendment rights, you know, the right to go to church, the right to speak freely, freedom of the press, um, peaceably assemble, or the right to vote, if I held that to the same licensing standards as what we do to our Second Amendment rights. <laughs> something you know, something to keep in mind on this, too, as, as well, yeah. is there's this focus on this license. It's, it's in, uh, people need to know, too, you don't need that piece of paper to purchase a firearm. That's not required. It's only to carry, carry it on your, your person. Lawfully. Carry it on your person. Or have it or in your vehicle, your car, right. but you don't need that to purchase a firearm. Um, and so, but these are people who are willing to acquire that license for several reasons. One is uh, for reciprocity purposes to travel into other states that will allow them to have that firearm with them when they travel in other states. And that's but, one reason that there might still be people, who, and it will, even if this were an absolutely active, people will still, still people will still acquire right. that license until and, all fifty states, perhaps. Would and also it. on your intro, when it said uh, to eliminate the handgun license, the, the bill would not eliminate it. We're not trying to eliminate it's the license. Effectively, do away with. I hedge my bets. No, you're right. There, there no, will still be options yeah. for people to get people will uh, still acquire. I don't not be mandatory. Yeah. Yeah. right. Correct. And so people will still. But keep in mind here. Let's stay focused. We get off track. The criminals, the criminal element is what we need to focus on, not whether it's a rifle that has 20 rounds or 10 rounds. I've asked people, I said, so you're telling me you're worried about a 20-round magazine. So if you wake up at 2 in the morning and an intruder's got a gun stuck between your eyes and you notice he only has 10 rounds in his magazine, it's not such a bad day. He's only got 10 rounds instead of 20. Senator, I don't care about the Senator, firearm. About the I care about the criminal. If we would focus on criminals, the criminals, not where the gun come well, from, but the activity. Because you wait, actually wait. were attacked a few years ago yeah, by a yeah. guy who probably would have shot yeah. you if the gun had not jammed. Exactly. Right? But, so, but so, the point is about the guns. The I'm trying to protect the police officers by saying that we're not going to have civilians walking around with assault weapons. It's just that simple. They don't walk it's around them. I've seen them. I must be in another well, state than walk, you, sir. I'm in a state with 770,000 people with gun permits, and we need more. I There's have a never seen anybody walk the sidewalks with an AR-15. Have you ever seen? I've seen them. They in take them to the range down by the state uh, again, house. Again, they the paraded facts. around there. Again, not fear mongering. Let's deal with the That's facts. That's not fear mongering. According to the FBI, in 2014, there were less than 250 people murdered with rifles. Okay. I'm now that's out of 350 million firearms, 100 million estimated owners, 2.6 million deaths of a country of 320 million people, less than 250. He, he's right, though. People can carry. They can well, carry. I mean, Absolutely. I know police get calls from people saying, hey, there's a guy walking down the street with a rifle. But Without a, a license. A, where's the bloodbath? Well, but you can do it. I mean, if it, you as can do it now. It's 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 in this state, most of the time that happens. It's in a rural area or some of our outside areas in suburbia here in Indianapolis where someone's hunting. It's during hunting season. Very Which seldom. Or it's a protest or something. And That's NRA right. was in town. We had some of that, but we had no issues. But the, the important part to remember is 
when you look at the amount of firearms, and we're talking about police officers, in this city of Indianapolis, which is not uncommon for other cities, we've had uh, about 50 officers involved in lethal confrontation involving firearms. And almost all of those, except for a handful, maybe one or two, involved a handgun. And these are individuals, most of them shouldn't have had a handgun in the first place. But, and again, I guess the, the flip side to that would be that that wouldn't change. That you would still, Correct. the people who, the convicted felons, the people who have known, still be still do what they, do. they still wouldn't. This, but Correct. this t breaks down the barriers. But if the barrier is, what is it, $10 for a four, uh, to get a four-year permit or $50 for a lifetime, that's not as much as a fishing license. It's, no, it's I mean, more than that. It's $125 for a lifetime handgun license. If you don't currently have one, it's $100 if you do. With okay. state and local fees. you view that as, as a burden, an unnecessary well, Money is not the issue. It, that's we're not a talking about See, that's what I say. Who we cares get off if track it's on We get off track on talking about the style of a gun or what a gun looks like. I'm telling you, people, and I'm telling the audience out here, if we were focused on criminal activity, people who, who use firearms, to harm other citizens, fellow citizens, that's what we need to focus on. Not whether the gun's got a serial number ground off or it holds 20 rounds. I don't care about that. My concern is what people do with the gun. That should be what we focus on. And if we would do that and quit getting sidetracked and derailed down a dead-end alley on about a style of a gun or a license or who... Worry, and I think as an officer, you recognize... I got a daughter who's a state trooper, and so now she's a DEA agent. They... they are worrying about the criminal, the people the committing the crimes. And I don't believe that you were attacked. Your first question was, did you get that gun from Indiana? I don't think people think I like was that. bothered after the fact, Senator, when the gun couldn't be traced. And you're one of the people that contributes to that by saying that we can have these loopholes and these sales. They could not figure out where that gun came from. That is very disturbing to anybody involved in these would situations. A serial, would a serial number have mattered? Would it make you feel better? You, you guys get into <clears throat> all this technical jazz. The bottom line the is you want guns to be <clears throat> sold <throat> without knowledge as to who the buyer or seller is and without the weapon being traced. That is all bad All your news. guns sold at gun shows are conducted by, all of them except for the private sales, are conducted by FFL dealers. And that, that dealer at that gun show is an extension of his gun shop. He's not a problem. They do the 4473 form for the transfer. He's it's not the problem. Why are you talking about him? It's the guy who is not a licensed dealer who's hanging around and out there. And that guy is not always the problem either. Your neighbor that wants to sell his gun or give Senator, his gun to a, a son or daughter transfers that gun to them without paperwork because that's allowed. Why, why do we regulate cars? Why do I have a plate on my car? Why do I have because a number of my driver's license? This is a violation of my freedom. I have not, to carry a driver's license. A car How is, can that a be? A car or your driver's license Maybe is not in our constitutional why, bill it's rights. It's presuming I'm a, cri a criminal. A car, not, it's another, this is another one of these arguments. A car is not in our bill of rights. It's not designated in any of the, the ten amendments. The freedom to travel is in our constitution according to the U.S. Supreme Court. I have a right to travel. And you're imposing it. You say I can't travel drunk. You're saying I can't speed. Who are you to tell me that? I'm telling you that typically the, the issue of the driver's license is not in our constitution. Like my job easy. I don't have to say a word. That's the, that's it. <laughs> well, I want to let me, let me from a research standpoint. Thank God we got numbers were here. <laughs> I mean, we're, I can't believe we're running out of time. If everybody in Marion County, law-abiding citizens, was issued a handgun, the research suggests we would the crime rate would. Violent crime rate would go up or down? Uh, I don't think uh, there's any research that tells us it would do either right now, quite frankly. Actually, there are uh, right now because Alaska, Arizona, and Wyoming, since they've implemented constitutional carry, we've seen the uh, homicide rates go down. And those are uh, those are facts. One of those three it's, states, and, Alaska, and those Wyoming, are, and those are, uh, Arizona. Okay. Those are numbers I, I'm familiar with, but... 
you also have to look at what else did the city and the state do. Did they put money into social pro programs? Did they put money into counseling? Did they hold people in jail longer that committed violent crimes and release some of the low-level offenders? All that plays a role in it. I certainly think that when you have a weapon and people know you have a weapon, uh, it does dissuade some criminal conduct. But are you going to see a big swing overnight? Most likely not, because remember, most of the criminals we're dealing with a lot of them are carrying weapons. They're desperate for some type of money or they have some type of mental illness okay. as well. Fortunately, the Second Amendment doesn't give us more latitude on time, and I'm getting a signal that we are out of it. Obviously, we've talked about one of your 11 bills, and there's a whole lot more. It'll probably be in study committee. We'll have other opportunities to sure. talk about it, but clearly there are there is much more to talk about. We should uh, <laughs> stick around. We'll do a few unofficial shows, uh, maybe for the web or something. But I thank you all for being here for what I thank assume you, would be a vigorous discussion and, in fact, lived up to my expectation. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Jim Lucas of Seymour, Democratic Representative Ed Delaney of Indianapolis, Republican Senator Jim Toms of Wadesville, and Troy Riggs of the Sagamore Institute. As students prepare to hit the beach for spring break, lawmakers are diving into higher education and the state budget on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for my weekly discussion with a real straight shooter, Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, we talk about scratching the surface. We talked about a bill that's now an amendment that's part of another bill that's likely to go to study committee that deals with uh, domestic violence and protective orders. Uh, didn't even get to talk about that. So, but that's getting a lot of attention too, is it not? That that will be the the big bill when things come down to uh, the end of well, close to the end of, of April. That's the one that, that you're going to see a lot of debate about. You already heard a lot of debate about that in the House. It's going to be amended, obviously, in the Senate. And I think you're going to see a lot of the other bills kind of uh, fold into that one because that's one that everybody's looking at. But. There's some real questions on, on both sides of, of that, philosophical questions, just as we saw during the roundtable, about whether there should be special exceptions for, for people who have, have gotten protective orders in domestic violence And this basically would give cases. those individuals the option of 60 days, a short, right. effectively acts as a, as a concealed mm -hmm. carry permit. There's a real juxtaposition. That bill, which, at least in its amended fashion, is, is ripe for a, a study committee uh, during the summer. And yet there was another bill that addressed the same issue from a different perspective, which basically said if you're the on the receiving end of a protective order, if you have a gun, you got to surrender it, or if you don't have one, you can't get one during the... And that didn't even... Pretty sure it didn't even get a hearing. No. What, does that, what does that say? Well, there, there are so many different bills that, that came up on, on the gun issues this year, you know, and Representative Lucas was, was uh, behind a, a good, good uh, number of them. You know, Woody Burton had the, the bill on the protective armor that the, the police uh, forces were, were pushing for. You're going to see at the end a lot of these things come back up again in the form of amendments to the, the big bill. And that's when that philosophical debate is going to come back up over you know, which, which end of this should be addressed. And, and obviously, I think we've, we've seen so far you know, where the, the debate is, is going on that. But we're, we're not going to see, as, as we've got in Kentucky, um, a constitutional amendment saying that if you've ever participated in a duel, you can't be uh, governor of Kentucky. I guess that uh, rules you out. Yeah. But, you know, when we look back on this session in a few years and we're sitting there in the rocking chairs, will we say this was a gun session or will it, will it just be a blip? Well, I think that we've, we've seen a lot of, of uh, gun bills in the last several years. Some of these things passed, too. I don't know that this session's in the end going to be any different. And with the study committee on the constitutional carry issue, I think you're going to see this come back again next year and the year after as well. Very good. I'm, all we have time for, I'll challenge you to a duel scene in the parking lot after we're uh, done taping. Thanks, Ed.
For more information, episode streams, and other extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Eric Weddle, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more statehouse coverage. Until next week, take care. Purdue researchers are at the top edge of computer technology, 3D design using hand gestures, extending mobile battery life, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.